and cue the fun, sassy music. Scene cuts to a door opening and Dan pops out. Cue the titles. Hosted by Dan Lejoie. Cut scene to Dan throwing a football in a field and catching it himself. Cut to Dan fishing in a lake and catching a whale. And then cut to a scene of a man poking his head out of a hedge. Cut to a scene of a man looking out of a dumpster. Cue title and Riley Stewart. You know, for a second there, when you mentioned the football, I thought you were going to be in like a sequel to Rudy. And I thought you could pull that off. I was thinking that that would have, there's your directions for the opening of this show. You need to find, make it sound like an 80s sitcom. I want to produce a sequel to Rudy with you. Like Rudy, what happened to him after his his football career? Oh, I thought it was going to be about a man in middle age who decides to go to Notre Dame and try to, like the opposite end. Instead of a young upstart little pipsqueak, it's a big man uh, who's turning 45 this year trying to make that team. No, it'll be like Rudy. And like when we find him, he's working at the brick. Oh, I, so I get to play Rudy? Yeah. But Sean Aston would, it would still work with Sean Aston. He's really heavy now, I think. Yeah. We would have to write his weight gain into so am it. I, though. Not like Sean Aston, I don't think. I think he's a big boy now. He was great in Stranger Things. I forgot he was in that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like him. I always think of him in Lord of the Rings saying, Oh, Mr. Frodo, I'll go get a brace of coonies. <laughs> There's no greater phrase in literature than a brace of coonies. He, I love him. Do we love him, Dan? Like a man loves sure. a woman? Sure. He's probably cuddly. I think so. And he would smell good. You, you look like you're cuddly. Are you cuddly? Yes. Are you a cuddler? Yes, I'm a cuddler. Like you're a spooner? Mm, not sleeping because it's too hot. Me too. I can't, I can't have anything on me when I'm sleeping. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not either. Well, uh, Riley, I think that's enough of a reveal uh, for this week. Uh, I hope that you're doing well. We have an interesting show tonight that I'm, I'm bringing to you uh, and the good listener. We're doing a, um, a blind reveal tonight. Sometimes you and I don't tell each other what we're doing, so I have absolutely no idea you know what your topic idea. is. idea. All right. This is, again, a very different one. This is, I'm going back to the dark side, which oh, has good. been my, uh, my theme. I think I was influenced by the new Obi-Wan show and seeing so much Darth Vader. It's bringing out my dark side. My inner Sith is coming out. Uh, oh, does Darth Vader feature prominently in that series? He does. I think we talked about this before, but they did cast or recast, I suppose, Hayden Christensen, which I never liked in the first. They did uh, not. No, he's he's connected to it. I think uh, he might be in the suit. Wow. Okay. And, yes, and yeah. in makeup and stuff. Okay. Okay. You really don't like him. I found he really sunk the... Oh, um, the, well, but the, and, and in fairness to him, I agree, but in fairness to him, the dial, like Natalie Portman sounds terrible. In yeah, that, we, talked, in we talked about this. I don't want to bore people. She's one of my with... favorite actors. Really? I love her. Yeah, she's been in a lot of great things. V for she's Vendetta. in a really great science fiction movie called Annihilation, which hey, everyone Annihilation is very good. Yeah. Brilliant movie, brilliant movie. What do you have for us? All right, this well, I, I'm going to preface this with this. I've never done this before. And as I was preparing this, I thought, you know what? I'm going to mention this. Uh, I'm providing a trigger warning here for this episode. Uh, some of the details of the story may be triggering for some. Uh, there's talk of mental illness, suicide, um, and, and specifically details concerning a possible eating disorder. So for mm-hmm. any listeners out there that uh, find that subject material triggering, you don't have to listen to this episode. Catch us next week. All right? Okay. Yeah. All right. Riley? 
Since 1973's landmark horror film, The Exorcist, possessed people and the priests who try to help them have been such a common trope in movies and TV, it's easy to forget exorcism is a real practice that continues to be performed on real people to this day. It's not just a thing from horror movies, and it's not just a thing from the Middle Ages. And we've talked in the past about how careful the church typically is, at least here in North America, with administering or even admitting to performing the ritual. It's not something that they are looking to do, right? That was beautifully written. Thanks. That was really nice. Oh. It was very much like, I, I felt like I was watching one of those really slick documentary films. Seriously, that was good for you. You pulled out that thesaurus and went to work. I'm a, I like words, okay? So in researching this story, I was shocked to discover how common they actually are in other parts of the world. They are so common that someone is actually being, probably being exercised somewhere in the world at this very moment. There's that many going on, being conducted by the Catholic Church throughout the world. A stark reminder of this is the harrowing real-life tale of Annalise Michel, a young woman who died while undergoing an incredible amount of exorcisms. Her story was made next level famous after the release of The Exorcism of Emily Rose, a 2005 film, Riley, I don't know if you ever saw it, which is an ad- adaptation of this creepy and very unsettling story. Mm-hmm. Now, this didn't happen in some pre-enlightenment era or in an area of the world where Christianity holds powerful sway. It happened in 1976 in Germany, a country considered one of the more rational and advanced countries in Europe. And as a stark reminder that exorcisms are real and can be extremely dangerous. Cool. Yes, I am very familiar with this case. Great. I've seen the photographs and things. So yeah, bring it on. What's that? Is that iced tea tonight? Iced tea. Yeah. Good My man. Jar. Yep. You're back to your foundation. <laughs> yeah. So this is the exorcism of Annalise Michelle. Although the story of Annalise sounds like the kind of terrifying thing that occurred regularly in pre-modern eras, like the Middle mm-hmm. Ages... Where if you looked funny or said the wrong thing, you could be tortured and executed. The fact is this horrifying tale took place less than 50 years ago. Annalise was born in a small town of Klingenberg, Bavaria, in western Germany in 1952. She was born into an extremely devout Catholic family. As Annalise's mother later explained, she, the mother, had a child out of wedlock in 1948, bringing such shame on her family that she was made to wear black on her wedding day. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's Like being mad, like hardcore. Yeah. The mother tried so hard to atone for her sin that she went to great extremes with her piety by the time Annalise was born, rejecting the reforms the Catholic Church brought on with Vatican II Electric Boogaloo, otherwise known as the Second Economical Council of the Vatican. Yeah, Vatican II is a big damn deal. Actually, it was a big damn deal. I mean, I kind of know it, but I did some research on it. It's actually quite profound, some of the things yeah. that came out of that. Like, if you practice another faith, you're not necessarily evil. Uh, the Jews aren't bad, so stop punishing them. They're with us. They just made some different choices. Like, it was this very liberal movement. But, like any movement like that, there's a lot of people that have had a difficult time accepting some of those changes. Absolutely. And this family is one of them. So additionally, her father had considered becoming a priest and three of her aunts were nuns. 
As a result, Annalise, a naturally sensitive girl, also felt pressured to atone for the sins of others around her, including, get this, sleeping on the floor as penance for drug addicts who themselves slept on the ground at the train station or elsewhere. This wow. family, yeah, this family setting would only serve as a launch pad for a real-life nightmare by the time Annalise was diagnosed with both physical and mental disorders as a teenager. So, things took an abrupt turn for the worse when Annalise began experiencing blackouts at age 16 in 1968. At first, she would walk around in a trance, unaware of what she was doing, or wet the bed. Soon, she was experiencing convulsions. A neurologist diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy, which can cause seizures, memory loss, and hallucinations. Furthermore, it can cause a disorder known as Geschwind syndrome, which it should be noted there is controversy surrounding whether this is actually a true neuropsychiatric disorder. Mm -hmm. So temporal lobe epilepsy causes chronic, mild interrictals, so between seizures, uh, changes in personality, which slowly intensify over time. Geschwind syndrome includes five primary changes to the person's uh, personality, their being. Hypergraphia, which is intense desire to write or draw. I had never heard of that, by the way. I'd never heard of that either. That's a good one to have. Yeah, I know. Well, it makes you start, it makes you think about maybe some of the, the what are you, what are you doing here? You're taking a selfie of yourself as. <laughs> I'm, ta I'm taking a picture of us. <laughs> okay. Why are you so mean? <laughs> That's uh, funny. But you wonder about some of the geniuses, like the painters and stuff like that, that maybe that is one of the things, maybe they're suffering suffering from hypergraphia. Uh, so there's also hyper-religiosity, uh, like a really intense belief in religion and the spiritual aspects to it. Uh, there's atypical sexuality, so that like you're, you have a reduced libido. Mm. Something called circumstantiality, which is and this is going to sound very familiar to you, apparently unnecessary details and seemingly irrelevant remarks cause a delay in getting to the point. So you're constantly going on, on these weird little tangents that have nothing to do with the thing you're actually talking about. So it sounds very much like our show. In that sense. <laughs> yeah. He has poor listeners having to endure it. Uh -huh. And in an intensified mental life, as you would imagine with, with all those things going on. So, she began to take medication for her epilepsy and enrolled in the University of Würzburg in 1973. I had a very, so this reminds me, Riley, of uh, with Würzburg, the story that you're claiming I've told the listener before about the time a blind man led me out of Frankfurt to Würzburg. Okay. And it gives, and now, and you know what that you've just done is you've given the listener incentives to go back and listen to our, our past library. Yeah, and we won't tell you which episode it is. The first person that can tell us which episode it is will receive a set of pens from Riley. Yeah, because I honestly don't know which episode it was. Do you? It has to be something about Germany. Oh, maybe. Maybe it's the werewolf of Bedburg. That comes up every episode. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about that episode every episode. <laughs> so she's gone to university in Würzburg, 1973. However, despite the treatment she was receiving, her condition worsened, and she fell into a deep depression and considered suicide. And what's weird is this medication should have worked. Mm -hmm. Like it was pretty common. It should have at least dampened her experiences, but they were getting more intense, which is odd. It was at this time she also started to hear voices telling her she was damned and saw the face of the devil all around her. 
which reminds me of the movie The Exorcist, right? The, the director's cut where you see the flashes of his face and the, yeah. oh man, that's unsettling. It was then that she became convinced she was possessed by a demon. Others first became convinced of Annalise's possession when she could not walk past a certain image of Jesus while on a pil- pilgrimage. She refused to drink holy water and, and this is a quote, she gave off a strong hellish smell. Oh, that's not uncommon actually. With with possessions? Yeah, yeah. There's this odor of like sulfur, you know, yeah. devilly stuff. Yeah, weird, eh? I sound like so such strange. a scholar. You know devilly stuff. So an exorcist from a town nearby confirmed her possession, but Annalise's request for exorcism from her local priest was twice denied, with the response mm. being the bishop had to approve the rite. Unfortunately for all involved, it wouldn't take long before the bishop and priests changed their minds. Ah. As time went on, things got considerably worse uh, than just not being able to walk past a picture of Jesus or hearing voices. Soon, Annalise was compulsively doing hundreds of squats and genuflections a day, 400 to 600 by most accounts, until she eventually ruptured the ligaments in her knees. Oh, that's a long heel. Don't you have to get surgery Surgery. to repair that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, dear. At one point, she crawled under a table and stayed there, barking like a dog, for two days. She ate spiders and coal and bits of rock, and she once bit the head off of a dead bird. Her screaming could be heard for hours at a stretch through the walls, and she was also known to urinate on the floor and then lick it up. Annalise's family wanted to seek further psychiatric treatment for their daughter, but Annalise refused begging for religious intercession, perhaps influenced by the exorcist, although there is no evidence to suggest she ever saw it or even heard about it, Annalise demanded an exorcist of her own. In 1975, she got her wish. So just uh, ring my bell again. How old is she at at this point? What age are we looking at? She's She's 20 um, and 75 now. Yeah, she's an independent woman. Oh yeah, she's in her 20s. Okay, thank you. I, and I know why you're asking that. That's a good question to to ask because often we see this impacting young children sort of transitioning from adolescence to teenage years, right? Well, yeah, and I was just wondering, she was old enough to have the facility to ask for it herself, yes. like to yeah. sort yeah. of take control of her treatment. So the local bishop, Joseph Stangle, approved Annalise's third request after she received support from a priest named Ernst Alt, who believed her condition was more than just epilepsy and hallucinations. The bishop assigned Pastor Arnold Renz to work together with Father Alt to perform an exorcism rite under the condition they did so in total secrecy. And that might sound odd, except we, again, we do know that the Catholic Church is not super keen on publicizing this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we'll get into it a little bit later. It's not necessarily just because they don't want, you know, people banging down their doors and asking for exorcisms when they don't need them. But it's also that they're playing a game, right? With secular, secular, secularism. Boy, that's hard to say. Secularism taking such a strong foothold in the Western world. And if they start going into that, you know, out there stuff, they may lose more and more people. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I can totally see their, the reason for doing that. Mm-hmm. So the rite of exorcism was performed on Annalise Michelle for the first, but by no means the last time, by Father Renz on September 24th, 1975. Over the course of her various sessions with the priest, Annalise revealed the names of many of the more notable demons who possessed her. 
As it turns out, her body was something like a VIP lounge for the damned. Souls you would probably have thought of as evil-doing humans rather than proper demons contended for dominance within her. Annalise supposedly served as host to the souls of history's greatest villains, Cain, Judas Iscariot, Nero, Lucifer, and Hitler, among others. These dark souls would speak through Annalise, intoning evil wisdom and even at times conversing with one another and insulting and belittling each other. According to Annalise's mother, when she would speak as these other people, the appropriate accent would accompany it. For example, she would speak with an, with an Austrian accent when, uh, when Hitler was speaking through her, or in an Italian or Latin when Nero was present. Sometimes the demons, once they identified themselves, answered the exorcist's questions, explaining what was wrong with the church or why they were in hell. Apparently Hitler said things like, people are stupid as pigs. They think it's all over after death. It goes on. <laughs> this, wow. I, this, this is like the one part of this story that actually made me giggle a little bit. Uh, Judas apparently said Hitler was nothing but a big mouth and had no real say in hell. I like I, that. I can get behind that. Can I ask you a question about some of those languages you mentioned? Yeah. So she had no pre-existing proficiency in any of those di dialects? No, not necessarily. Because she would have been exposed to Latin, probably maybe through the church. Right. She absolutely would have. I mean, Austrian and German, I know, are a yeah, little yeah, bit different. Yeah, of course. But, so very good question. Someone asked with Judas, did Judas speak in ancient Aramaic? And there's no evidence of her doing that. Okay. Because we, there is recordings, and I'll get the, into that in a second. There are recordings, but she never slips out of German. She's speaking German the whole time. Okay. Or Austrian. So furthermore, and this is, a, this is an interesting one. Uh, one of Annalise's demons was an excommunicated priest named Valentin Fleischmann. And even though Annalise should not have known anything about him, she was able to provide accurate details of the behavior that got him booted from the church including personal details of his life that were never made public, which is very weird. Indeed. And these things were being recorded by the priests. So the, apparently the priests weren't even aware of this. Well, they probably knew the man, but the details she was revealing when that went up the chain, when they were, I guess, reporting back to the bishop, it was like, ooh, she's right or it's right. So that's odd. Like that's yeah, the that one is. of, you know, all of these that is a little weird. That comes up in exorcisms a lot when they reveal details that they couldn't possibly know. Right. That always makes me sit down and go, what? Well, and one of the things about this, and I mean, there's a lot of criticism uh, directed at these priests, is that they would have fed her that. Mm -hmm. But apparently, they didn't know it either. Like, they knew the priest, but they wouldn't have known some of the details that she had about his life. Mm -hmm. Over the course of nine months... Sessions lasting up to four hours were held once or twice a week in an attempt to drive Judas and company out of Annalise. In the end, she was subjected to a total of 67 exorcisms, which is a lot. Oh. Father Renz allowed some of the sessions to be recorded and some 42 hours of audio of the exorcism of Annalise exists. And what those tapes contain, Riley, is horrifying. I lasted... 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what she's saying. It's very disturbing. Yeah, I've heard it um, before. It's really well known. Yeah, it's really right. out there. It's not a, a, a normal woman's voice in no. any sh way, shape or form. No, her voice, like it's, it's, it's inhuman and it does sound like a demon. Uh, she's gurgling, growling, hissing. Uh, she's, you know, spewing out vulgar language. I have an idea. Here's my idea. 
Okay, you know how I always end the show with yeah. something funny? I was going to ask you. Tonight, listener, and so you'll be forewarned, so you can stop the show or not, instead of ending it with a humorous thing, I'll put a little clip in there. And if you want to continue listening after we say goodbye, that will be there. If you don't want to hear it, stop the show there. So there, they will get a little taste of what you're talking about, and nobody gets offended. There you go. I was going to ask if you could do that. That's brilliant. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. So what's interesting is that Annalise's voice on these tapes sounds very similar to Linda Blair's, at least I think, in The Exorcist. It's beast-like and, and very feral and deep. And it doesn't even sound like it's coming from a female. It sounds like a, an ancient old being, right? During these sessions, even as Annalise wasted away physically, she exhibited what witnesses described as superhuman strength. And her behavior would become so violent that she would have to be held down, chained to her chair, or otherwise restrained, so that the priests would be able to continue performing their rites. Again, a very common thing with, with you know, Absolutely. real exorcisms. It was around this time that Annalise broke all the bones and ripped all the tendons in her knees from kneeling so much. And honestly, being chained down might have been the preferable alternative to that. Right. Like imagine the, the pain this poor young woman must have been in. Physical agony. And mental. So getting chained to a chair for four hours, 67 times in nine months. So priests can yell at you and throw water on you. And so the power of Christ can compel you would take a lot out of anyone. And one of the more shocking details that would later emerge, it wasn't this, the actual ritual that would eventually catch up to her. Annalisa's mm. sense of responsibility to atone the sins of her generation did not end just because of the near ceaseless exorcism rituals. During the nine-month period of her exorcisms, Annalise began talking about the possibility of sacrificing her own life on behalf of the rebellious youth and sinful priests she considered to be plaguing the modern era. Oh. Yeah, by this point she'd requested not to be treated medically for her epilepsy any longer, relying fully on the priest's exorcisms and had stopped eating altogether, planning to starve herself to death to atone for the sins of others. So this girl was very religious, fanatically Fanatic. religious. Yeah. yeah. Something I wanted to mention to you, and I just checked to make sure that I was right, because you know my memory, I'm old, I can't freaking remember my phone number sometimes. Interesting enough, the voice of, in The Exorcism of the Devil is a woman. It's a, an actress named Mercedes McCambridge who oh. voiced the exorcist just goes to show you that that is absolutely in the realm of the female voice was in that movie it's not altered no that's her she had a very distinct gravelly voice yeah cool yeah famous performance of course by the spring of 1976 annalise was emaciated and a contracted pneumonia oh. exhausted from the brutal exorcism sessions suffering from a fever and weakened from not eating Annalise Michelle died of starvation and dehydration on July 1st, 1976, weighing a mere 68 pounds at just 23 years of age. Mm -hmm. The end of Annalise's life, however, was hardly the end of the story. Now, a common reaction to this is one of disgust and anger that Annalise's parents and the priests would be so irresponsible as to let a young woman slowly starve to death in front of their eyes for basically no reason. I guess, and that depends on your perspective of this. If you really do believe that she was possessed, then I guess you would think that they were doing everything they could to be to save her. But if you don't believe in that, then this is neglect in big capital letters. 
Well, and also from what I've been led to believe, and I could be entirely off the, the rails here, but I've been led to believe that exorcisms in like the last, I don't know, 75 years or so, there's medical people involved a lot of the time in these as well. There's medical people on hand. It's not like somebody in a cave with a candle. Yeah. You know what I mean? They they have the it's assistance. It's interesting that you say that. Now, I'll actually touch upon, I have a, a quote that I'll, I'll bring up a little bit later from an exorcist, uh, a priest who's also a psychiatrist. Okay. It's okay. A, an interesting take on this. So Annalise's parents and both Father Alt and Father Lenz were arrested and charged with negligent homicide for failing to get Annalise the necessary medical care in her final days. While it was recognized Annalise's organ failure was inevitable towards the end, experts found Annalise could have been saved even a week before her death with the most basic medical care. However, the prosecution recognized the Michelles had pursued practically every possible avenue to help their daughter and asked the court merely to charge the priest a fine and find the parents guilty but give them no punishment as they had suffered enough, which I actually find interesting that the prosecution would have been that um, thoughtful and caring about that, this situation. They recognized that there needed to be something done, but let's not, they really thought that they were doing the right thing. Well, also, if this girl believed 100% in what was happening to her and would only operate within this religious bubble, what else can you do, you know, except have her committed? Exactly, 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 exactly. So to give this already sensational trial an even more lurid edge, the Michelles had Annalise's body exhumed before the oh. trial because a nun had told them that she had had a vision Annalise's body was incorrupt in the grave. If this turned out to be true, it would be evidence something supernatural truly was afoot and that the exorcism was warranted. Suffice it to say, the body turned out to have followed the natural course of decomposition. Oh, I was hoping, I was actually hoping it, it wouldn't. Wouldn't it be great though, right? Like they, op they opened the coffin and she just looked, she looked like, pristine. you know, yeah. you know, it would have been even better if she'd gained back all that weight. If she, no, it would have been like really creepy, right? Well, it would have been terrifying. They buried this emaciated creature and then they opened it up and she's like the beautiful, you know, woman she should have been. That, like that's like vampire territory. Yeah, I don't know. It just I just love that image. You see, I should direct. You should. Well, you're not good at this, so you should find something else. And I think you'd be great at directing. I'm still searching, you know. I tried the Uber thing and it, I failed. Have you thought about directing industrial, uh, like, training videos? I think you'd be Can good you imagine? At that. Could you imagine a more lifeless pursuit? <laughs> now, take screw number five. You know, no, no thanks. Oh, I'm on. thinking of, like, the videos I had to watch when I worked at McDonald's. All right, so in the trial, more was at stake than merely the guilt of two parents and two priests. The trial also served as a referendum of sorts on the issue of science and reason versus religion. In comparison to some other European nations, Germany is considered highly rational and secular. For example, in Italy, nearly half, get this, Riley, nearly half a million exorcisms are performed each year, and about one-fifth of the world's practicing exorcists live in France. I, that, I was shocked when I read that. And these are current statistics. Yes, yes. I got that from, I think that's from a Washington Post article I read. And wow. it's, that was in 2018. If it's that article that I got that, it's like, it was in the last couple of years. You know, we're not as far along as I thought we were. I can kind of get Italy, right? With the Vatican being right there. But I, I think of France being more cosmopolitan. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
By comparison, Germany has only two or three practicing exorcists who perform in secret under the bishop's approval. Even among baptized Christians in Germany, about one-third of Catholics and half of Protestants don't even believe in life after death. That actually surprises me too, but I think that's probably very similar to here in Canada, at least. I don't know about the United mm -hmm. States. Yeah, I don't know about the United States yeah, either, man. Yeah, it's different. As such, as a country that prides itself on being secular, German officials didn't want to be seen going on the record as considering the presence of the devil as a legitimate defense. At the same time, the church had a vested interest in maintaining Satan is real. If demons don't exist and priests can't perform exorcisms and, and, and control these entities, then elements of the Bible come into doubt. Mm -hmm. which could lead an already secular nation into questioning religion even more. Norbert Baumert, a Jesuit priest and chairman of the Theological Commission of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal in Germany. Did you get all that? That was a mouthful. Was quoted as saying, I personally believe that this case was handled in such a way as to play down the reality of the devil. That's what they believe, right? That this is part of the devil's scheme to make you think he's not real. While the court did hear the arguments in favor of Annalise's possession, in general, the case was handled in a way that downplayed the existence of any supernatural entities. Over the course of the trial, the tapes of the exorcism sessions were played in court as evidence Annalise was possessed, with clips of the demons arguing being used to prop up this claim. Furthermore, the Michelle's church-sponsored attorney argued exorcism is legal, and protected under the German constitution's guarantee of religious freedom. The prosecution, meanwhile, naturally produced doctors who testified Annalise was not possessed, but that she suffered from psychological effects brought on by both her unusually religious background and her epilepsy. Mm -hmm. All four defendants were found guilty, not of negligent homicide, but of the lesser charge of negligent manslaughter. However, while the court gave a more lenient sentence than the public had expected, it was not as lenient as the prosecution had suggested. While the state had argued the parents should suffer no punishment and the priest should merely pay a fine, the court gave them all six-month prison sentences, which were suspended, and then three years probation. Okay. Despite the guilty verdict, the Michelles remained convinced they had done the right thing. Annalise's mother said the exorcisms were justified because Annalise's hands had borne stigmata as a sign the demon should be driven out so Annalise could atone for the sins of others. She said she did not regret her, daughter, her daughter's death, as she was convinced there was no other course of action. The Annalise Michelle trial became a huge media spectacle, and German priests found themselves embarrassed to be associated with what they considered old-fashioned practices, especially the fact the rite of exorcism used on Annalise dated back to 1614. Many within the German church made a concerted effort to modernize the church's rules about exorcism. German bishops and theologians formed a commission to review the, the church's practices, and in 1984, they petitioned the Vatican to reform their approach to the right. And I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. So basically what they were saying is that part of the problem is that when they're performing that right, they're looking right at the person and they're saying, I command the unclean spirit and so on. And the commission found this part of the ritual did a lot of psychological damage to the person at the receiving end of it, because when the priest is addressing the demon instead of the patient, what the patient sees is an authority figure confirming the presence of a demon inside of them, which can mm -hmm. then, which then worsens the delusion that the person is having and can actually make it more 
difficult to cure them. So they, the petition that this commission put forward asked that they remove and indeed forbid that part of the right. It took 15 years for the Vatican to come to a decision on it. And in 1999, the, the German body did not get what they wanted. Uh, the new revised exorcism formula still included, though, the possibility of speaking directly to the devil within the patient. So I guess they're more careful with it, but it's still fair game. In the years since Annalise's trial, the young woman's death has continued to haunt the town of Klingenberg. The town's residents are embarrassed and prefer not to talk about it, even as pilgrims pour into the town to visit Annalise's grave. These pilgrims view Annalise as a symbolic counter to the increased secularism of modern interpretations of the Bible that deny what they feel are deep, miraculous truths. Some pilgrims believe Annalise's grave can purify souls, a belief that would probably please Annalise, who felt so strongly that her death would cleanse the sins of others. For some, Annalise Michelle is something of an unofficial saint. Wow, that I did not know. Yeah. Ulrich Nyman, a Jesuit priest, and also, this is the, the guy I was telling you about earlier, uh, he's a Jesuit priest and a medical doctor and psychiatrist, who often has been called into exorcism cases by clergymen, says, Secularization has the church in its grip. We do a lot for the third world, but little for faith in a transcendent God. The German church is far too cerebral. Neiman doesn't consider himself an exorcist per se, and he doesn't actually perform the Roman ritual of uh, 1614. He says, as a doctor, I say there's no such thing as possession. In my view, these patients are mentally ill. I pray with them, but that alone doesn't help. You have to deal with them as a psychiatrist. But at the same time, when the patient comes from Eastern Europe and believes that he's been impaired by evil, it would be a mistake to ignore his belief system. And perhaps that's the heart of it. If someone believes something to be true in their world, Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something about that later once you wrap this up. That's it. I just wrapped it up. I want to tell you something while it's still fresh in my mind. There was this girl that I knew, not well, but peripherally. So I would see her out because, you know, I started out in the punk scene and all of that. I would see her out at the clubs and stuff. And, I, you know, I knew her enough to say hello. And, you know, she'd always bum a cigarette or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in her um, mid, I guess, mid 20s, she started to manifest really pronounced psychological problems and the particular thing that she believed and i should say that her sister suffered from really bad schizophrenia and Mm -hmm. ended up killing herself but she believed that she had been there had been something um put in her a device had been put in her and she was being monitored and tested by some unknown sort of dark government agency and i remember talking to friends of hers they were saying that the only way that she could be approached for treatment was that her therapists and stuff had to go at her through that door so they had they had to operate within the realm of what she believed and so they would say okay you know we know that you're being followed we want to we want to make you safe mm-hmm. you know blah 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 blah. and so, so they had to reinforce her beliefs in order to sort of get inside her otherwise they would get nowhere otherwise mm-hmm. they would be part of the conspiracy and it was really an incredibly 
tough journey. I don't know what happened to her, but I remember it was like everyone was talking about it because just suddenly one day she was just almost unapproachable. Mm -hmm. And you had to sort of buy into the conspiracy that she believed that, that she was part of in order to even deal with her at any level. And so her, her, her therapist, that was how they... So I can get this because... This woman is fervently religious and like we all know what fervent religion looks like because it's all over the place, right? And I get that if you believe in something so profoundly that it can just take over your entire consciousness. On the other side of the spectrum, when you fervently believe, you see that like in the Baptist culture in the Southern United States where they believe that there's the faith healers, right? Mm -hmm. And people who are ill suddenly aren't anymore. Mm-hmm. And I mean, certainly I, I often wonder if it's all just a big con, but we even have that in the Catholic faith as well. If you go to St. Anne de Beaupre, which is um, one of Canada's oldest churches just outside of Quebec City. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. biggest spider just ran across the floor and the dog was going ape shit playing with it and i was like i'm and it was just about to go under my studio so i'm like i gotta kill and i'm sorry all those people out there i know it's bad luck but it's dead yeah my dog is terrified of spiders i wish she would is she yeah it was there was one by her her food bowl and she looked really put out and then my son figured out what it was and killed it and she wouldn't go back to her bowl until like we had to show her that it was gone well she's a smart dog yeah so anyway, I was saying in, in St. Anne de Beaupre, in this church, there's uh, pillars filled with crutches and wheelchairs and canes and stuff like that, uh, because there's a relic there, and if apparently this relic can heal you. And it's still happening to this day. That's one of many religious shrines throughout the world where that <gasps> takes place. There's a million, not a million, but there are a lot of them across the globe where miracles have happened, where the Blessed Mother has appeared. There's a lot of them. I don't think the Catholic Church, for all its its warts, it's not in the game of conning people. They're not asking you to donate every weekend uh, all your life savings so that they can drive a Cadillac. Actually, the Pope does drive probably something similar doesn't he yeah but he has to because he you know gets shot yeah oh yeah the pope mobile i don't think the pope drives i bet he doesn't even have a license but he does live an opulent lifestyle so there i go anyway but the common priest doesn't anyway my point being is that people are believe that this thing has healing power and because they believe so powerfully it happens and there is magic in that i think there is magic in that in science. Well, I mean, it's the same reason that, I hate to bring up a dark moment in my past, but it's the exact same reason that my mother listened to tapes when she had cancer, because she believed, or she was trying to believe that the power of positive energy and thinking and sort of meditating and like she would imagine the cancer within her and she would imagine her body trying to cure it. I mean, that's what that's what that is. She was looking for positive energy. Like, I, how do I explain this, Dan? It's it's a tough one. She was trying to um, use belief as mm-hmm. medicine. There we go. Belief as medicine. She believed that if she believed strongly enough, her body would obey her and cure her. There we go. That was hard to get to. Mm-hmm. I needed to write that down and then think it through. But I didn't have that luxury. I'm exhausted now. There you go. You know, and I, I kind of... This was another one. I've been sitting on this one for a long time. And and like you, I knew a little bit about the story 
saw the movie a long time ago. But I find this part, it's this half of the story that I actually find the most fascinating. An exorcism is an exorcism. We've talked about a bunch of them. And this one isn't maybe as freaky as as like the, the Roland Doe story. It's this questioning of, is it real? And does it matter if we don't think it is, if the person experiencing thinks it, it's real? Exactly. That's exactly it. What you were saying, I'd just like to add to it. This is an extreme case. This isn't just a, this isn't just a mere exorcism. This is no, like no, yeah, a of lifestyle not. of exorcism. Like you said, she had so many, like basically she was just living mm-hmm. through exorcism after exorcism after exorcism, right? It, it became a way of life for her. Mm-hmm. And and doing those genuflections and stuff in between the exorcisms, right? Which is when she blew that was her, awful. her knees out. I hated that detail. Yeah. That detail bothered me. Mm-hmm. She never ran hurdles again. A lot of those details I find upsetting reading that. So, well, there we go. It's a rainy day here in Ottawa. It's a rainy day in the nation's capital of Canada. And And you've reinforced the rainy day with a a dark, dark, and sad tale, but interesting all the same. Yeah, yeah. It it really is. Yay for you. Yay. All right. Hey, look, folks, that's the end of this show. Uh, Thank you so much for once again tuning in. Do you call it tuning when it's a podcast? I think we can apply that terminology to it. Sure, sure. You know, if you find this on a radio dial, though, could you let us know? Because that means someone's pirating our show. And that is not cool unless you live in Bhutan, because in Bhutan, it's a kingdom and they can do whatever they want. I miss the era of radio. When I was young, I had a boombox that had a really good radio in it. And at night, I would lie in bed and this we're talking after midnight. This is when I was in university and I would just just search the search the dial, just turn the dial and listen to all these really cool shows from the US. Well, do you remember at night you would get more stuff? Yeah, and one of the shows from the U.S. was this parapsychological show, and uh, it would always follow the Sally Jesse Raphael show. Oh, yeah. So I would listen to a little bit of Sally Jesse Raphael, and this is before she broke big time on the on the scene. And then after that, there was this other show about parapsychology, and it was really good. So, folks, thank you so much for uh, listening to our show. Uh, we appreciate uh, you uh, stopping by this week and, and having Do a listen we ever. to our show. And feel free again to uh, rate and review and reach out to us through our social social media platforms. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Folks, we don't charge anything for these shows, but we do ask that you spread the word of the weird near, far, wide, and deep now. Uh, it is 2022, and going deep is a thing. That sounds dirty. I don't mean it. It really today. sounds dirty, Dan. It sounds like you're directing a film in a hotel. Didn't you, was it you that was saying recently that you you saw one? You were at a motel. I was in a hotel. Dead. I was in a hotel, and they'd rented the whole upper floor. But you know what? I will reiterate. It was just the last episode I did, but it was they were so nice. They yeah. gave us soft drinks, and everybody was super nice and professional, and the girls were nice. You know, it was a, it was well run little little um little setup. I'm glad you had that experience. I am too. Good night, everybody. We love you, and we'll see you soon. And now remember. Turn us off now if you don't want to listen to an excerpt from one of the exorcisms of Annalise Michelle. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 